Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi, Olivia. Hello, Micah. <laughs> it always makes me chuckle because beforehand, we're both exhausted. We've been doing tons of stuff. It was a crazy week for pretty much everybody in the States because of a crazy weird holiday that I don't totally agree with, but we don't have to talk about it that much. And then we come on and we're both so excited. We're like, hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, remember this world of typography that I feel like that world was replaced with turkey and cranberry sauce and mashed potatoes in my brain. Turkography. Yes. Oh, that's a good one. I still have some leftovers in my fridge. I'm pretty excited about it. I have so many leftovers. My mom made me this casserole thing that's in my freezer. So at some point in a couple of months when I want a taste of, of turkey, it's like layered mashed potatoes, stuffing, oh. turkey, cranberry wow. sauce. What? Yes, that yeah. sounds ideal. I'll report back when I dig into it. I love a Thanksgiving sandwich where it's all combined. Mm-hmm. I feel you on that. All right. Today, we're having a little retrospective on 2022 for the Nerd Alert super fun. We have some regular links that I'm really excited to chat about beforehand. And then we're kind of talk about what predictions were put in place for 2022, things that we saw, highs, lows, juicy goss. And yeah, I think it'll be interesting to reflect back a little bit and think about what we've seen this year and how things didn't always go to expectations. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That will be interesting. So our first link this week is one that my pal Thomas sent me. Thomas and I worked on Google Fonts knowledge articles together. And this is a new one by Nick Sherman, who is well known in the type industry for making websites for typography people, or at least one of a handful of people who are good at it. And so this article is interactive animations with variable fonts. It just shows one of the benefits of variable fonts that it can make animation smooth because it's not jumping between, like there's some really visual examples here of like, as you're hovering over a menu, you change the weight. And in olden days, or if you don't have this set up, you know, you hover over it and everything shifts because the width of the letters when something gets bold changes in a normal non-monospace font. Mm -hmm. And... When it's variable, it can go from 0 to 800 smoothly if you add some nice animations and transitions. And so at least it's still doing the thing of changing the width of the characters, but it's doing it in a way that your eye can register. It's going from 0 to 800. Yeah, I definitely appreciated as you kind of read the article, you get to learn about more complex variable font features that can be benefits to your hover states, basically. And they they start by showing simple hover effects. So what we are used to, of if you go from maybe a book weight to a bold weight without variable animation, and then it adds another layer of what if you went from book to bold with a variable font. So there's a kind of this seamless animation between it. It's not just one state to another state. And then they get to talking about what they call multiplexed weights, which I don't think I've actually knew this term beforehand. I've known about these types of fonts. I feel like in the past I've heard them called mono width because it doesn't change width depending on the weight. But multiplexed also makes sense because you can talk about a few other axes besides just width. And 
I think it's really interesting to start seeing, again, in these animations, when you hover over words and it doesn't affect the rest of the text block, it's very satisfying to see, especially when you compare it to things that do affect the rest of the text block. So lots of really good before and after animations of the benefits of using specific variable type within the web and then also using variable type in general on the web and actually taking advantage of kind of smoother transitions are allowed with that technology. Yeah. My only gripe is that some of these fonts are cool in these examples. I don't know what they are. Mm, like, yeah. The one at the very fair. end, I, I loved the most where it's like a spooky October font that has like, you know, blood dripping down, but only after you hover over it, which is really neat. And I'm like, man, what is that font? What the heck? That's cool. I feel that. Yeah. But yeah, general good animation. And it's good to like pass this around to your web design folks. Indeed. Indeed, Aroni. Deuteroni, as they say. All right. Next article. Also, some rules about type on the web. Micah, you killed it with some contributions this week. (laughs) And the title is Why You Should Never Use Pixels to Set Font Size in CSS. And that is also abbreviates pixels to PX, the unit that you can use in your CSS code to determine the size of type. And Micah, I got the gist of it, but you probably have a little bit more nuance in understanding the strong opinion. Well, when I was asking you before, you did summarize it very well. So love that. And basically, I'll just try to recap what you said, which is that pixels are an absolute unit, but the computers that we're looking at these websites on are not absolute. There's different pixel density ratios, Mm -hmm. like the phones can be anywhere between one and three X density, where it's like a pixel is still a pixel, but there's three of them packed in the space of what one of them might be packed in. Mm -hmm. And also responsive design on the web is all about, you don't really freaking know what width or dimensions in general of the screen is that you're looking at. It might be on an iPad, which is a standard size. Or some like a a weird Android tablet that is a totally made up size or like different computers at different sizes. So the point is like a pixel is never a pixel like in the real world where an inch is an inch. And the point is that M's and REM's are kind of stolen from type design. M's were at least initially, which we've talked about in the past on past episodes but it's a relative unit where the device is kind of defining how many pixels an M is going to be. But at least if you use M's or REM's everywhere, then it's all relative to whatever that pixel size ends up being. Yeah. I remember this being discussed. I don't know this exactly, but thinking in this way, remember when Twitter, I mean, Twitter has lots of things to talk about these days, but <laughs> Twitter released remember that Twitter. Cuff- Yeah, remember Twitter. I think we could stop there. But they released a custom typeface. I remember a lot of people were going after some of the hinting in that typeface. I think it had something to do. And people were talking about the pixels being used. And I was so confused because I was like, oh, well, whenever I like zoom in on a screen, I don't ever see pixelated type. But I think in that argument, we were talking about how different screens can adapt to allow your eye to actually never see pixels, which something we really take for granted because we have some monitors at work that are not 4k i don't even know what they are 
but I literally have a hard time reading text when I use the monitors. And I think they were industry standard probably before Retina came around. So everyone read things on the computer that way for years beforehand. But I think I'm so used to the density of pixels being so high on Retina screens. It's like, can't even handle anything else anymore. I mean, that is that is a really good point. And like, we all look at our phones so much and basically almost any modern phone on the market is close to like book or magazine density in terms of pixels per inch versus if it's print, mm-hmm. it's something else that I can't remember right now. Dots per inch. Thank you. Dots per inch, which is the same concept, right? But yeah. we're so used to looking at our phones so much, which have such high resolution because they're tiny and they can pack them in. Yeah. And the bigger the screen, the harder it is to like pack more stuff in. It like yep. costs more. So yep. that's fair. That's legit. Yeah. So it's good to keep this in the back pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely a good read if any of this sounds new or unfamiliar to you. It's not that hot of a take. It's, I mean, <laughs> and, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. Like it's it's a really good article and describes why it's not a hot take. It's like, you should know this. This is just a yeah. respect. Yeah. That's fair. We got a hot link next for everyone, though. I'm really excited about this one. Also came from you, Micah. And it is Dispict, which I'm trying to- I didn't to... say it out loud. That sounds awful. No, it is a funny one to actually say out loud. It's basically a, what, machine learning database or a growing artistic exhibition gallery. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the, It's like a thousand the... things. How do you sum it up? <laughs> I kind of found it because someone retweeted the developer of it. And so I feel like the the front-facing version where you're interacting with it is the floofy art school version, whereas mm-hmm. it also links to the open source code, which mm-hmm. is a lot more technical. Not in a bad way, but like has a more practical description of what it is. So when you first look at it, it's just you, you load up the website and it's like a text box with a random phrase in it. And then a bunch of art, historical art surrounding it in kind of this mood board type thing. Basically, the point is they used machine learning to start to label historical art so that you Mm -hmm. could search it in a more natural way. And it was Mm -hmm. kind of like an, an inverse take on, hey, we've been doing all these things of using AI to write natural language and generate art. Mm-hmm. Can we use that to, with natural language, classify art and find Ugh, art yes. that already exists? Which is cool. Thank you. It's neat. You describe that so well. I love playing around with this. There's the text box, which you can type in your own phrases, but there's also a little refresh button that lets you cycle through kind of some pre-made prompts. And I love that you can get anywhere from tender arguments to rainbow dreams to everything I see is green to delicious fruit. I think as far as image searching, I'm always looking for new kind of possibilities and and platforms to do that. So I think this is really exciting. And it's all taken from the Harvard Art Museum. I did want to say that. So there's There's limitations to what it can grab because of that, but I still think there's over 200,000 digitized pieces here. And once you click on one of the images, you can get a little bit more background information on the name and the artist and the date. I think that's just really exciting. Yeah, and and the point too is that it's 
at least sort of open sourced. A lot of it is open sourced. And what they have done is not super crazy. So it's potentially just showing that you can do it. And I now imagine like stock art companies should be taking note of this. Yeah. This is how I want to search for that, for that sort of stuff. But also separate from that, like the website itself is actually pretty cool. It's very basic. And, but also they kind of scroll jacked it where scrolling lets you like zoom in and zoom out, which is Mm -hmm. weird, but cool. Like you move your mouse and scroll in and it zooms in on where your mouse is as a way to find out the information about that thing. And uh, I mean, I don't know about you, but I immediately searched sheep in a field and it found so many beautiful sheep in fields. I love that. That sounds like a very peaceful gallery to live in. That's what I want on my wall. Yes. Good. Sheep good cows. inspiration. Yeah. Sheep cows, just all the Icelandic sheep in in Yeah. Europe. Yeah. I know. And and sprawling vistas, hills, countrysides. That's what I need in my life. Take me. Take me there, please. (laughs) I want to go to there. I want to go to there. The closest thing we can do is get on Dispict and do some natural language. Such a bad name. All right. Our last link before the nerd alert is another web design tip. (laughs) I found all of these links. I just realized they're all webby. They're great, though. They're technical enough, but I've been able to digest all of them and have found some interesting information. This one's all about how to do buttons on the web. And <laughs> I forgot that's how you say buttons. Button? Wait, but, what do you mean? Buttons. Buttons. Let us discuss our buttons. Buttons on the web. Buttons. <laughs> so this is kind of like a do's and don'ts of how to style primary, secondary, and tertiary buttons and I'm feeling so self-conscious about saying this. Sorry, I have, I was no, just it's okay. Teasing. It's fair. It's fair. And the nuances that come with designing them. So, for example, they talk a lot about color contrast within buttons and this ratio being really important, obviously for accessibility. But then also talking about when you use kind of a a medium light gray in a button style, it unintentionally looks like a disabled state, which I didn't Mm. even think about, but I was like, oh my God, absolutely. So like just really small things that might not come to mind to everyone's everyday styling, but I think is really critical thinking about how we can make small interactions and designs like this important. And gosh, every website has buttons somewhere. So making sure that there is hierarchy is just some pretty simple like staple articles on how to design your websites. Yeah. A couple things here is you may go through it and it may seem like the end recommendation is like you should always do buttons this exact way, which is if you skim it, I see why you might feel that way. But if you go through and actually read it, there's pretty detailed descriptions of why the other ones don't work. And so it's less about Here's the right way to do it, and more about here's things to pay attention to. The yeah, that's a, good, a good. That's a good way to put it. Also, I love that the tertiary button. They really recommend making that if you're going to do plain text and not actually a shape around the text to have an underline underneath because if there are colorblind readers that are reading your text and you just change the color, but it might not be as noticeable for them to understand that's a link that they can go somewhere else with. So I thought there's some really good insights as far as accessibility on the web as well. Which I'm actually excited because this is kind of, I think, an excerpt from 
the book that this author is writing. And by the time this podcast comes out, the book will have just come out like it's coming out this week as you're listening to it. And I have no idea what the price is. I haven't read it. I'm probably going to pick up a copy. It's called Practical UI. And it just seems like one of those books that is like, here's good. Here's less good. Here's why this is better with visual examples like this. So I'm looking forward to it. I don't know. Seems cool. Yeah. Nice. Good. Good call out. All right. Nerd alert time, my man. Oh, yeah. So we have an article to kind of share. And I think we share that and then also talk about things that we've seen just to okay. set the stage for what to expect here. So we shared this earlier in 2022, and it's the Monotype Trends Report. And the link that we're sharing today is a brief overview of that trend support. You can go ahead and download the report. I actually found it on my computer because I downloaded it earlier this year. And we wanted to take a look at what trends actually happened and what trends maybe didn't happen and just talk about the surprises and the expectations and what's going on. I don't think we need to go through every single trend here. I think some showed up more than others. I want to start with the anticipation of the ink trap. So, <laughs> right. yes, that was included in the 2022 trends report. I have to say, I feel like 2022 surprised me. People cooled down on the ink trap life. Thank God. 2021 was everywhere. I remember that a year ago we were talking about how ink traps were everywhere, wondering if they were going to continue. And I think people, it kind of like got old a little fast. I'd like to think it was because I went on this podcast and said I'm sick of it. And people were like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll cool down. No problem. Oh, my God. But, yeah, I'm I'm also glad that that's, that's toned down quite a bit. Yeah, like I'm not going to be like mad to see it, but it was just everyone acting like it was this like crazy novel thing and putting them everywhere just to distinct a sans serif from one brand to the next felt quite a bit overdone at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. So I will gladly have have that one be a cool down trend from this year. One of the trends that is, I think, still pretty relevant for this year was the first trend, which was New Nouveau. I think this kind of art nouveau into the modern kind of century has been continuing for a few years. And I also think there's like a lot of ways to interpret it. Like even in this quick overview of the new nouveau, they have more chunky, a highly contrasted sans serif type. And then they also have this like really fluid park lane type that every letter lends together. And I think a lot of people, and I've been looking at this type for a project recently a lot of people are trying to talk about this multi-intersectional identity that I think a lot of brands are trying to capture, and, and they're trying to capture the demographics of people that have maybe mixed cultures in their background or are experimenting with gender. And I think that there's something that designers are gravitating towards this style to kind of express this multiplicity or hybridity. And I feel like that has been around quite a bit this year. That sounded really smart. Thank you. <laughs> that's great <laughs> appreciate that what are you seeing in here that you think was a win or a flop well i agree that the nouveau thing is still around i have a feeling it's on its way out personally like i think it's mm. been here for a minute and for a good chunk of time that was like the perfect millennial blanding approach like the opposite of blanding Right. It was like like all of the ones that had blanded, they were trying to be different from the blanding by doing something mm -hmm. Art Nouveau. 
Yeah. And so then it became, that's why it's, it became a trend. But I think because then so many other things happened in the trends, that's not as much of a trend that I have seen anymore. Kind of it feels like it's on the way out. I do think, let's see, the there were quite a few that I feel like did hit home and a couple that I agree didn't really happen. I think one, the whole svelte serifs one, as they describe it, where it's like these pretty precise lines with these tall serifs. I feel like that ended up being in kind of a certain genre. Yes. For me, at least from clients that I have seen and whatnot, it's a lot in the wellness space. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't I don't see it in, in a ton of other areas. But that did happen. Like it was still a trend in that in that space. Yeah. And then I remember talking a lot about this throw up trend as they described it, where it was like a lot of goofy, puffy type and a lot of lettering type stuff, like type squeezed into shapes and stuff and all sort of like hippie lettering in a way, right? Yeah. Flower power kind of stuff. And I didn't see that very much. I feel like they kind of represent a really wide range in this category, monotype did, where some of it's like pretty almost psychedelic, gooey type. And then some of it feels like really graphic like graffiti, like the Nike example. And I know Appear Offline, I think, is the artist that did this example with the eyeballs and the O's. And yeah, I don't think I saw it that much either. I know, Micah, you and I were talking about some episode content for next year, and I want to talk a little bit about, I don't know the exact name, but like design that imitates rave posters from the 90s, whether or not we go Mm. in that specific direction. I do think that this maybe was appearing in really niche shit. I don't think it necessarily was an off approach. So that's my approach on like the more graffiti graphic style. But this like ooey gooey style that they show in the first example, the classic ooey gooey style as we know it. (laughs) I feel like that was so many places. Interesting. It's deep because we interact with different types of design. And so... It's also possible that any of the trends that I think didn't happen just weren't in my circles, I guess. I don't know. I think you spoke well about that svelte serifs where like certain industries really maybe even overdid it with some of these trends and then it didn't hit other ones. I know this is not on this monotype list, but it was on everyone's trend report in 2022 besides this one about UK really coming back. And I heard us bantering when we were coming up with the idea for this episode that Y2K went everywhere this year. I don't think it was necessarily new to 2022, but it went mainstream as hell this year. Yeah, you're right. Which is unfortunate because it was a pretty ugly time. (laughs) You're like, I lived through it and I do not need it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, that's a good point. That's like a trend that, that wasn't on the list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and thankfully, one that was on the list that did not happen, and I hope we just quit talking about it, is NF type. I knew um, you were so, saying like, that. Yeah. It was basically like, ooh, NFTs were huge one year ago. Mm-hmm. And we were thinking like, ooh, this is obviously going to translate into typography. And here's a couple interesting projects. I remember talking about it and being like, this is stupid. And it just nothing really changed there <laughs> nothing really happened no trend yeah we don't need it that's fine 
Yeah, no, that's so funny you say that because I also was like, you could like make a case for most of these, but I feel like we, we're not catching every single thing, but we have our finger on the general pulse. And there was, I don't know, maybe we had one, one or two stories about NFT type, yeah. but it was like, I know we're trying to make sure we include that sort of stuff in our roundups, but it was not something that was like felt super flooding the, yeah. the blogs or anything this year. And for any of the small events that it was related to NFTs, it didn't mm-hmm. really affect the majority of anything. Yeah. The world culture. Like, it didn't matter that much, unfortunately, for whoever was working yeah. on it. Even just to prove that, I remember back in the summer, we had the Ladies Wine Design event that I was speaking at. And I was like, does anyone know any females working in typography and web three world. And like, it was just crickets. And there was like all sorts of women around New York in the design field that were there. So I think that just proves that there's still a big jump to make there. That's a good point. I feel like at the beginning of the year, you had a project that you were working on that was related to web three. And so Mm -hmm. you were very focused in your day to day about learning Mm -hmm. about it and understanding trends. And that, that definitely came into the stuff that we talk about. But over the course of the year, I mean, naturally, you moved down to other projects that you've been mm-hmm. working on. And outside of you, like, I don't hear that much about it. And I'm like in programming circles, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's still stuff like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And some things are like on the blockchain and that matters a tiny bit. But I don't know, this time last year and at the very beginning of the year, it was like, we're in the future now and we don't understand yeah. it, but we're gonna. And I feel like now everybody's, maybe that wasn't it. (laughs) Yeah. And I think this is where I kind of want to talk about just like generally this year, things that surprised us in the design world or took over. And I really do think Dolly, OpenAI, MidJourney, all of the new machine learning tech, I feel like we had a lot to share on that. And I wouldn't have expected that before the summer. I think it was really the summer where it blew up. That's fair. And I don't feel that different than the Web3 stuff where it's like, oh, this is a hot topic for the moment. But in the long run, I don't think it matters that much. So that's really interesting because I used Dolly as a tool at work to help design a book cover a few weeks back. So I've started to see it being used, but I still think there's a gap as to like understanding who owns the material And I think like designers do have to tread carefully. Like I wouldn't just put something to Dolly and then present it to client. But I I just think that took over the conversation way more than I would have anticipated. I definitely agree. I didn't anticipate it either. And I think based on us looking back at what we thought were going to be huge things this year and realizing some of them just didn't matter that much. I'm pretty sure that's going to be AI generated art. By this time next year, we're going to be like, yeah, that really hasn't come up. That's my guess. I like this early prediction. I mean, like, we don't have to go too far into current events. But, I mean, 2022 was also the year Adobe bought Figma, which I'm not a big Figma user, but I know that will be big. It was the year that I learned about Canva. I did not know about Canva, really, what? before 2020, 2022. Really? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel like... Half the people I know, I'm, I, my feet are in a couple worlds. I have the programming side, I have the design side, the type side specifically, and then I do like business consulting, which the all of the like business stuff 
is just like, mm-hmm. yeah, Canva is the easiest possible tool and free. And yeah, of course I'm using Canva. Yeah. Like no one even knows what Figma is in like small businesses that aren't yeah. design related, but everybody still needs designs. And so they're using Canva and all that stuff. We talked about whatever a couple months ago where Canva came out with 700 new tools on one. Mm-hmm. Like it's, they're really taking over the chunk of the market that isn't professional designers. And to be honest, like I'm okay with that. Anything that can be designed by Canva by someone that isn't necessarily like a very seasoned designer, that means that someone that's like a seasoned designer doesn't have to do that busy work. (laughs) I know that sounds terrible, but I don't know. I've spent time designing social media posts that follow a relatively templated look, and that's a waste of my skills at a certain point if you're doing it over and over again. When there are people that can have a basic understanding of design tools, don't necessarily need to produce. Social media has a life of one day like a social media post. (laughs) And that's not to discredit people working in social media at all. I know there's a lot of significance there, but there's also a lot of brands that are small brands that can't afford designers, quite frankly, and need access to easy tools. So that's interesting that Canva, I just feel like I heard so much about it. And like very curious where modes of production are going because a couple of weeks ago, we showed we showcased a tool called Womp, which is an in-browser 3D tool. We know Spline is out there, also in-browser 3D tool. And maybe there's going to be a new one for type design at some point too, as we start seeing kind of the education around type design continue to grow. And how is that going to shape our world? I'm curious. I feel like there was a lot of prediction around 3D really taking off this year. And I still feel like it hasn't, there are some people doing more avant-garde 3D stuff. We had that whole showcase. And like you said, there's still some people that are doing 3D stuff that was like the 3D stuff you were working on at college several years ago. But as more access to those tools grow, are we going to start seeing some really unusual showcases of 3D work? I don't know. Interesting. I mean, I also obviously don't freaking know for sure. But I think... 3D is going to be a little bit of a fad too. Yeah. I think it's probably going to blow up a little bit. We're going to forget about it in two years. It's going to blow up again because something else will happen in the software with it. Yeah. Uh, And I don't know. I mean, what you were just talking about, about how will these tools that are becoming more accessible for more advanced things, will that bleed into type design? Mm-hmm. And I do think it's ripe for revolution at the moment. I love that term. <laughs> Thank ripe you. For revolution. And I feel awful. There was a, I can't remember what it was. I can't remember the name of it. It shut down. It was this French company that was doing, they had an in-browser type design tool that they called it parametric type design. Mm-hmm. And rather than drawing everything, you would adjust sliders and mm, generate a font. I remember that. Yep. Yeah. I feel bad that I can't remember it because I knew them and they were great and they had a really genius idea. I feel like it was just a little bit before its time. And if that came out now, it would be a huge deal, I feel like. But yeah. it already came out and had to shut down because it was... So I could see there being some revolution in the tools still in our near future. Yeah. yeah. Also this year... 
I mean, we're going to probably spend an episode on predictions at the beginning of next year, but still recapping. I appreciate thinking about the tools. But anti-design really took over this year. Mm. And I say that mostly because I don't tweet and I don't know where the future of Twitter is. I mean, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> but I remember I was like really upset last year when Spotify Wrapped came out in December and they mm. stretched that type. And yep. I think – I felt so upset about this. I like tweeted and I barely ever tweet my thoughts on the design. And everyone was like, this is crazy. And a lot of people were tweeting about it. There was one tweet I remember where someone was like, no, I'm here for this. This is great. And I was like, well, this is crazy. Like, why would they ever do this? This is impossible to read. And I just feel like from that moment on, like everyone's been stretching that type. Like the sans serif type is getting stretched like crazy. In recent months, I've seen fonts come out with pre-stretched type, which proportions would like, I don't know, like really make one of the early designers of a desktop typography faint because of how anti-stretching we all were for decades. And that became almost like a little bit more of the norm, like that seeped into a little bit more mainstream culture than I expected. And now I'm like, whatever, on stretch type. Because I also understand that it's trying to say something in itself, like, fuck the rules, like, a little anarchist moment. Yeah. <laughs> but I am surprised that really took over. You bring up two points that I think are really good. One, I think anti-design is a trend that is nowhere near done. Ooh. I think we are just at the beginning. I don't love it, but like it's definitely not me or my design style. Though I was very into like grunge and messed up stuff when I first got into design. So I kind of get it. Like it's not that I love it and I think there should be more of it. I just don't. I think there is going to be more of it. I think we're <laughs> just getting started with it because the world is just getting shittier and shittier. <laughs> and so it's not that different from surrealists being related mm. to the cultural movement at the time mm. your favorite word zeitgeist right Ooh, yes <laughs> and i think that is exactly what's happening we have such a capitalist focused culture and that design is kind of anti-capitalist yes or at least started that way and capitalism is now grabbing hold of it and so i think that's gonna last for a bit i love this vicious cycle you're describing yeah it's weird i feel <laughs> i mean i feel like like an immortal who's just like watching whole lifetimes mm. in circles. Yeah, but that. the other point that you brought up is like, you felt like once Spotify did that in the unwrapped, that's what they call it. That's what it yep. is, right? Yeah. Yep. That's when everybody was like, oh, I'm going to do that. And I think Spotify is a much bigger design trend player than anybody gives it credit for. I feel like I've mm. seen that multiple times now that their mm. unwrapped leads to trends the next year. And that Gosh. they intentionally try to do something, something different each mm -hmm. year with their design. And the new one's coming out some point soon, the next couple of yeah. weeks. I think I got a notification yeah. about it. So yeah. I have a feeling they're going to do something really freaking weird. And then that is going to push the trend of that weirdness into next year. That's my guess. Ooh, I love that. Because I've seen it. I don't remember the other ones that they've done off the top of my head. I can remember a few years ago, they started one of the trends of really odd color combinations. They'd put just Crayola yellow next to a lavender. And they were using a lot of color combinations that made zero sense. But then I remember it was like, oh, then like 
Dropbox is also in that bandwagon of really unusual colors. And like that, that became a trend for a while. And I do love that. And I'm excited now to see what they've got for this year. The reason that I think that that happens is not because Spotify necessarily is like the center of the future of design trends. I think it is that Spotify makes a lot of money and hires the top talent. They have enough money to hire people who are a really good at what they're doing and B can afford to be innovative, like literally Mm -hmm. can afford it. Yeah. If Spotify puts out something that's really hideous and weird, nobody's going to stop using Spotify. Yeah. That's such a good point. I feel like we were able to touch on like the use of anti-design in business, which is very real. Like you can't forget that, even though it's trying to say something new. And I'm excited to see where we continue this conversation with our opening episode of 2023. We still have a couple more episodes this year, so not to worry. But I I just have one more thought that I just have to put out before it disappears. I think... I think the anti-design trend is going to blow up more partially too because like we were just talking about with Spotify, the money behind it leads to the ability to do those things. I think the tech layoffs that are happening Mm. currently and the death of pretty much every social media platform is going to make the next year of online platforms and design and stuff be like revolutionary in the sense of we are revolting. I'm here for it, honestly. Let's see some new stuff. Okay, I've blabbered enough. I just wanted to put that out there in case I'm right. (laughs) We should replay this next year at the same time, see what we got right, see what we got wrong. (laughs) It'd be like, wow, Micah was way off. You never know. You never know. All right. This was fun, though. This was good. You always have fun combos. Always. Always. All right. Next couple weeks are going to be some roundups of our favorite things that we shared. So definitely don't miss out. And keep it sleazy, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I really need to say that. Do-do-do-do. 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 Do-do-do-do.